Hello! You are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This summer, we are back in the book of Psalms. John Calvin rather famously wrote that the Psalms are an anatomy of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Psalms sing high joys for salvation and the beauty of this world, and yet meet us in the low places as we cry out for justice and weep over the sorrowful state of this world. All of life, absolutely all of it, is invited to be laid before our Lord in the Psalms, these prayers and songs to God. So we'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon, and God bless. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in Him. Why would that need to be said? Lots of reasons. I'll tell you a few. Sometimes we think, We need to take matters into our own hands. Maybe God can't be a refuge. Not doing things the way we want. Sometimes we think, man, God takes too long. Is he going to come through anyway? Refuge? After waiting so long? Um, sometimes it seems like uh, things aren't where you think they should be and happening in the way that you think they should happen and, well, something needs to be done about it. Sometimes, and this is, I bet this is true of all of us, sometimes it seems like the pleasures of the world are just too enticing. They're too shiny and beautiful and they could make us feel good and Rejoicing in the Lord and taking refuge in Him doesn't seem as attractive. Here's the thing, we're, not, we're often tempted to think that dependence on God and taking refuge in Him alone is not going to get us where we need to go. He might not come through. Um, think about this, okay, the very first sin, or we could say the very first rebellion against God had to do with the idea that rejoicing in the Lord and taking refuge in Him wasn't enough, right? Um, God and what He had given to His people there wasn't sufficient, it wasn't enough. Um, The gifts that He had given them, the love that He had shown them, the care that He had for them wasn't enough. They couldn't exist just depending on God, just rejoicing in Him and finding their refuge in Him. Wouldn't work. And so they went beyond the one boundary that God had put in place. They took the one thing that God told them not to take. They decided that His care for them wasn't going to be sufficient. They found their delight in something beyond what He had placed for them. They thought their desire for knowledge could be satisfied outside of their dependence on God's gifts that he had given to them. Um, They thought they could find refuge 
for their longings in something outside of God's gifts. But this is the kindness of God, okay? In that rebellious act, God still says this. There's going to be a seed of a woman who's going to crush that serpent that tells you these lies, that God's not enough, that you can't find refuge in him, that rejoicing in him is not the way to go. There's going to be a day when that woman's seed crushes those lies. And a lot of the story of Holy Scripture is simply God's people waiting. And sadly, a lot of the story is in the midst of that long waiting that keeps on going and going. God's people themselves saying, rejoicing in you, maybe I should find something else. Finding my refuge and my satisfaction in you, no. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I want to highlight a few major turning points, okay? First, I want to talk about Abraham. Um, God begins this redemptive story. The first, so Genesis, uh, the first 11 chapters basically show you life outside of actually dependence on God is going nowhere good. And then God calls Abraham to himself in Genesis chapter 12, and he says, I'm going to bless you, but my blessing of you is not just for your own sake, but through you I'm going to bless all people. My whole creation is going to be blessed through you. And of course, if you've been hearing the story, you heard, okay, wait, there's going to be a time when the seed of this woman is going to crush the serpent. Maybe all these lies are going to be done away with. So he calls Abraham out of Ur and tells Abram that he's going to bless him. And, and then in Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant, a relational promise with Abraham. It says, this, it says this, God says, look towards the heavens and, numbers the star, and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then the next verse, verse 7, says this, and he said to him, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abraham can't quite get that land yet because the Lord actually says the sins of the people that live there, they're not great enough that they should be displaced, okay? But here's what I want you to see. God makes a promise to Abram, Abram at the time, that's his name, um, that God's redemption of the whole world, God's love for his creation will come about and he will bless his world and it will happen through this person, Abram. But here's the thing you have to understand. Abram has no children at all. He's like, how in the world is this possible? I'm old. I don't have children. What kind of promises are you making? I don't even have this land because you say, well, the people that live there, their sins aren't too great that they should be removed from this land. I mean, it all seems just a little bit crazy, God's promises. So then, actually, in the next chapter, it, it actually begins like this. This is how it, what it says. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. It's like right away you're like, wait a second, there's an issue going on here. There's no, pro there's no children here. And you're saying stars of the heavens for offspring. Uh, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. You might know the story here. Uh, Ishmael is born. 
to Hagar, not to Sarah, even though the promise is, is, is to Abraham and Sarah. And uh, Sarah deals very harshly with this servant, Hagar. It's very, actually, it's a very evil story in some ways, but it's also a very beautiful story because the Lord is really kind to Hagar in the midst of this story. Um, but here's what happens, right? The, peop- the people of God hear God's promises and say, you're taking too long refuge in you, rejoicing in you, being actually dependent on your ability. Ow. Crazy talk. Now, if we jump down a couple chapters in chapter 18, what we find is that the Lord actually comes to Abram again and he says, hey, this time next year, and by the way, at this point, Abraham is 99 years old. That's kind of old. The Lord comes to Abram and says, hey, this time next year, you know that promise I made to you? Your wife's going to have a child this time. And what does Sarah do? She laughs. Why would you believe God and his promises? Don't, don't you see actually what it says specifically is, um, the way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. That's why she laughed. She's like, this is crazy talk. I can't find refuge and rejoice in you and believe your promises because I'm old. All right. I keep going with that story. There's a lot there that's really beautiful. Let me jump ahead significantly. To David. By the way, that's jumping about 800 years. Think Abraham, 1800-ish. David, 1000-ish. Okay? So in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, the prophet Samuel, Samuel is sent to Jesse, David's father. He has a bunch of other sons. To anoint the next king of Israel. And Samuel doesn't know who he's going to anoint, but it's got to be somebody other than Saul, so he's anointing the next king. And... um, and David has all these brothers who are brought forth first. And, um, and in, initially, you know, Samuel's like, oh, these, these are the kinds of people that should be king. In fact, I heard this sermon once by Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the message. Really w- wonderful uh, translation uh, of the Bible, loose translation. And he told this story. He said his mom used to tell him all these Bible stories when he was growing up. And his mom was a really good storyteller, which is probably why Eugene Peterson's such a good storyteller. But she would embellish everything. And she would make it a really good story. And so this is kind of how she told the story. Um, she said that the oldest was presented, and he was presented as big and strong and just full of muscle. Somebody that should just be king. Uh, but he wasn't chosen, and, and the next oldest was prevented, uh, presented as the one who should maybe be anointed, and, and he was very smart. He wore a tweed jacket, had horn-rimmed glasses, three PhDs. I mean, you should see his home library stacked, right? He wasn't chosen. The next one was presented. Um, he was just smooth, like a good talker, really cool. I mean, he could just like get along with anybody and win anybody over to him. He was a cool cat, not chosen. The next brother was brought forth and uh, this brother was charismatic. Man, he could work a crowd. If he had an idea and he was like, I got to get people on board with this, everybody was like, sign me up. ESL at Second City, this guy was like, you all would just show up afterwards and, he, and, and you'd be like, let's, let's do it. 
um, so every brother was presented, and um, all of them would have been the good reason, there would have been a good reason for each one of them to be king. And then um, after all of, them, all of them were not chosen, finally um, Samuel says, uh, there's something wrong here. He says to Jesse, this is all of your sons? God told me to come here, and these are all great candidates, and yet this is not who I'm supposed to choose. And uh, then Jesse looks confused, and he's like, well, I do have another son. But he's the youngest one. He's, he's the littler one. He's tending the sheep. He's out in the field. We just kind of send him off to do our work because this is, this is the king kind of stuff that you want. If you reject my other sons, there's no way you're going to use this one. Okay, you guys know that King David, the guy who's out in the field tending the sheep, he's actually the one that gets anointed. It's a crazy story. But, okay, here's the wild thing. Uh, this, this is important that you hear this. At, at the time, King David's like 15 years old. He gets anointed, which is like, why, why would God work this way? This isn't like how we think he should work, you know. But then actually he gets anointed and it's not like he becomes king right away. It's not like you're all, you're all of a sudden you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, that guy, obviously Samuel was right. In fact, he, he has to wait until he's 30. So from 15 till 30. And, and a lot of that time, if you know the story, Saul's out to kill him. And really, like at the, what I'm, why I'm telling you this story is that God, we're supposed to rejoice in you and take refuge in you and trust you with all this stuff that doesn't seem to be the way that the world should work. Why do you work this way? And why is your timing like this? And why do you choose these people and say you're going to work in that way? And we go, ah, oh, this is, I don't know. We maybe shouldn't rejoice in you. We shouldn't take refuge in you. Okay, I want to jump ahead again. And I'm going to be brief. Um, because here's what we find in the storyline of the Bible, is the vast majority of the time, God's people said things like, um, well, they said, God, you're not really enough. Trusting you and believing your promises, they're not sufficient. They don't give us our desires and you're not, your timing is so off and the, and the difficulty is so great. Uh, one of the promises to David, actually, if you continue to read his story in 2 Samuel chap chapter 7, in the covenant, the relationship, you know, with God, the promises, the relational promises that God makes to David is that there's going to be a king forever on your throne. But then if you keep reading ahead, what you find is tons of those kings actually want nothing to do with God. They look at the other nations and they're like, those people have it going. They look wealthy and happy and they're worshiping other gods. Maybe we should give up on this God. And that's largely what happened with most of, the, most of the story of the Old Testament. God's people decide that his promises for them, they're not enough. His goodness is not good enough. They might as well just live like the other people around them. And then out of that, God actually exiles the 10 northern tribes. The Assyrians come in in 721, take the 10 northern tribes of Israel away. And then in 586, really like 590, or 590s, 580s B.C., the Babylonians come and they take the two southern tribes away, Judah, where Jerusalem was, and Benjamin, and they're gone. Why do I share all this? What are the promises that we've heard from God? You're going to be a people that are going to bless the nations. 
You're going to have this land. The promise to David, there's going to be a king forever on the throne. And now you're left and you're like, this is crazy talk. How are we supposed to rejoice in you, Lord? How are we supposed to find our refuge in you? We're told here in Psalm 64, let the righteous rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. But even as we consider the story of the Bible, what we see is that the waiting is long for Abram and Sarah. And their temptation is to take matters into their own hands. Or what we see in David is God choosing the one that we least expect and we want to put other people forward and say, God, this, what, what are you doing? And what we see in the exile is God's people actually do plot against God's ways and they think, no, he is, his plan is not right. Refuge in him is, is, is not a good idea. What we read in Psalm 64 is what appears to be a long time of crying out to the Lord. Most of this psalm, I wonder if you notice this, if you look at it, just, I mean, just literally just look at it with me, not even read it. Most of it is this part where um, all the plotting is happening. I mean, the first six verses, there's only ten verses, it's a short psalm, and the first six verses are all of David saying like, man, this person's doing this, or like this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening, and it just seems like it builds up, and it's, most of the psalm is just, why is all this going on? Where are you? What are you going to do? Listen to this again. Okay, let me read it again. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint, which is a great way, you know, you're like gathering kids together, kids, you all, I'm sure the kids in this church have never had this happen. Parents come around, they're like, hey, you need to listen to me. They normally don't say that the first time, right? That's normally like a build-up kind of thing. Like, hear my voice. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throngs of evildoers, who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear, they hold fast to their evil purposes. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking who can see them. They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. The inward mind and heart of man are deep. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. But the injustices of the wicked keep coming. They just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. We read about them, read about them all of the time. And the waiting for the Lord is so long. It is. And the temptation is sometimes to think what God has given to me is not enough. And maybe the fulfillment of his promises won't happen. They seem so distant. And Galatians 4, 4 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, which is like right when God knows when he's going to act, at the perfect time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. God knew exactly when Jesus would be sent. 
It's not haphazard. It's not lost on God that the waiting is really long. Probably a lot of you know that the New Testament begins like this. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, he had Jacob. Jacob, he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah, Judah's woman Tamar. Perez, he brought Hezra up and then came. It's a song. You don't know that song. Okay, it's all right. Let me, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it. Um, and then came uh, Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jothan, and Jothan the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, Collective breath. <gasps> and after the deportation of Babylon, Je- Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and Joseph the father of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. That's a long time. How many of you were wishing I would stop or wondering if I would stop? That's a lot of names and it's a long time and that's actually part of the point. But when God acts, even acts suddenly, he acts decisively and purposefully, and he accomplishes what he intends to accomplish, which is he sends his very son to die and to rise again and to conquer Satan's sin and death on the cross. His timing is always perfect. And that's actually part of the point of Matthew chapter 1. 14 generations and 14 generations and 14 generations, which is to say 7 plus 7 plus 7 plus 7 plus 7 plus 7 into the seventh generation. And if you know the Bible, 7 is the number of perfection, which is to say God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. You're like, what is happening? Why should I rejoice in you and take refuge in you? Because, man, the waiting is long. Verse 7, after all of this, says this. But God shoots his arrows at them. They are wounded suddenly. They're plotting and scheming and this and this and this and this. All this stuff is happening. And when God acts, he knows exactly what he's doing. They're brought to ruin. Friends, brothers and sisters, I think this is what Psalm 64 is telling us. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord. Take refuge in him because he will come through. He will. He will come through. God knows exactly what he's doing. 
He's enough. His care for you is perfect. It is. He's always enough. His timing might seem totally off to us. It's always perfect. It's always in the fullness of time that he acts. I mean, come on. Some of you are waiting and waiting and waiting. I would guess all of us have different waitings that we have been waiting in for a long, long time. Maybe it's just for your tears to stop generally. Maybe it's for your tears to stop specifically about a specific thing that you have been waiting in forever. Maybe it's you're waiting for that specific struggle against sin to be done with, or maybe it's you're waiting for the injustices of the world to finally come to an end. For God to make good on blessing the nations fully, completely. Maybe you're waiting for your body to work, your mind just to ease, for your heart to be at peace. But I want you to hear, God will do it. He makes good on his promises and he will act and when he does, it will bring about exactly what he wants to do. He will come when he comes to make all things new, to bring all wrongs to right and to wipe away every tear and sorrow, to do away with all the pain of this world. He will come in the perfect timing and he will act decisively and he will accomplish exactly what he wants to do and his timing will be perfect and it will be full. Listen. Let the righteous one rejoice and take refuge in him. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this psalm. Lord, we might not have people scheming against us. Some of us might. Seeking to shoot us down with arrows. But oh Lord, how the, lo- how the long wait of our redemption. How the long wait of the blessing of the nations and the good of your perfect kingdom to be over all things is in each one of our hearts. How we ache with the desire for you to act fully. God, I pray that we would put our trust in you, that we would rejoice in you, that you would be our refuge because we know that when you act, you act perfectly and your timing is always right. God, for some of us, I pray that you'd act really soon. Hearts are heavy, Lord. Desires have been long held. We are waiting, Lord. For all of us, we cry out with the church, Maranatha, Lord, come, please. God, I pray for each one of us that in our waiting, we would not lose heart. We would not find the allure of the world so tempting that we fall and we leave you. Or that we don't take 
measures into our own hands in such a way that goes against your law and your goodness for us. God, sustain us in the waiting. And make good, Lord. Make good and, dis- and act decisively for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name, the one who is given in the fullness of time to redeem us. We bless you and we praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.